With today's message on righteousness, here is Pastor Morris Vinden. One day my aunt came to me when I was a boy, and she said, Son, I have a heavy-duty question for you. I'd like you to tell me, when a man jumps off of a bridge, where is he when he jumps? Well, I said, that's no problem. He is in the air when he jumps. No, she said, that's after he jumps. I want you to tell me where he is when he jumps. Well, I said, that still isn't the problem, because uh, if he's not in the air when he jumps, then he's on the bridge when he jumps. No, she said, that's before he jumps. Where is he when he jumps? Well, I lay awake at night over that one, and uh, maybe you will too. But there's a more practical question that sounds a little similar. It goes right back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden. When did Eve sin? When she ate the apple or before she ate the apple? I'd like to remind you that she ate the apple after she sinned. That there is something that went before. And that's one of our purposes in studying this question today. The question of sin is a heavy-duty question. We can't escape it. None of us have escaped it. We are painfully aware that we were born in a world of sin, and it has resulted in all kinds of trouble and pain and heartache. So let's take a look today at what the Bible has to say on the question of sin. There are two approaches to it that we could use, looking at it through two different sets of glasses. First of all, through the behavior glasses, and secondly, through relationship glasses. At first, the difference between these two schools of thought could look like a mere crack in the sidewalk. But if we're not careful, that crack in the sidewalk can become the Grand Canyon later on. So how you come down on the answer to this question is extremely crucial. And it has a great deal of bearing on the whole theme of righteousness by faith. All right, uh, how does the behaviorist define sin? There's a well-known text in 1 John, the third chapter, verse 4, that says sin is the transgression of the law. For a long time, people who look at sin primarily as behavior or performance or doing bad things, bad deeds, have uh, looked at this text and used this text. And it's true that legalistically speaking, forensically speaking, this is the only definition for sin in Scripture. But there's a far deeper issue than simply doing bad things. If sin was nothing more than doing bad things, then all we'd have to do to become righteous would be to stop doing bad things, stop doing wrong. And uh, this would lead to an external kind of uh, religion that the Pharisees in the days of Christ were victims of. And Jesus gave them bad marks. Well, what is the deeper issue in sin? It's the issue that the relationist looks at. As we look at it through relationist glasses, that is, relationship with God, 
then the real issue in sin is separation from God. And uh, this is where you read in John the 16th chapter, verses 8 and 9, about the deeper cause. There Jesus describes the Holy Spirit and how that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. And then he said, of sin, because they believe not on me. Another word for belief is trust, or of sin, because they trust not in me. So the real issue is whether or not we're trusting in God, trusting in Jesus. Go away back to before the beginning, as far as we know it. Let's go back to uh, Lucifer in heaven. That's where sin began, as you know. Now, uh, Lucifer did not become a sinner by stealing apples off of the tree of life. There was something that had been going on along before this. He had begun to think that he was big enough to be his own God. He was big enough to separate from his allegiance and trust and dependence on God and to go it alone. In other words, he was a victim of the deeper issue in sin, which is separation from God. Anyone who lives a life apart from God is a victim of sin, regardless of what he does, right or wrong. That's beside the point. And then the sins that follow are simply an automatic result for the person who chooses to live life apart from God. So when did Eve sin? Well, she sinned when she distrusted God's word, distrusted God's warning, decided that she was smart enough and wise enough to depend on herself, to trust in herself, to leave Adam's side and to uh, wander away from God onto forbidden ground. And the eating of the apple or the bad deed was simply the result of her sin. We might call, then, the deeper issue of sin sin singular sin singular is mankind minus God that's what results in sin singular and this results in sins plural doing bad things doing wrong things well, as we consider this, then we understand better a text found in Romans, the 14th chapter, verse 23. There the Apostle Paul says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So anything we do that is not done through faith, faith in God, trust in God, trust in Christ, is sin. It makes no difference whether it's good or bad. Well, why is it sin? Because we have a problem. We were born in this world sinful. And the first symptom of being born sinful is self-centeredness. Which means that apart from God, we can only do even good deeds for bad reasons. For instance, uh, let's illustrate. Take the widow across the street. Uh, she needs her lawn mowed. So I go over there and I mow her lawn. I do a good deed. But I can do it for a number of reasons. I, if I'm a genuine Christian and know God and His love, I can do it out of pure love. 
if I'm living life apart from God and have no time for Him, then I'm invariably going to do it for selfish reasons. We could list a number of possibilities. I'm going to go on vacation and I need the widow to water my lawn while I'm gone, so I'll be sure and mow her lawn ahead of time so that she will scratch my back when I'm gone. Or uh, I want to have a good reputation in the eyes of the neighbors, and uh, so I'm thinking of myself in that regard. Or I've heard that the widow has a good deal put away somewhere and she's teetering on the edge and I'm hoping she'll remember me in her will. There are all kinds of bad reasons for doing good deeds. So whatever I do that is not done through faith is sin. And we should stop thinking of it simply in terms of uh, bad behavior. Some of the worst people around in the days of Christ were the good people. They were good people that crucified Jesus. They weren't the bad people. The bad people came and flocked around Jesus. The sinners, the harlots, and the thieves. But the good people put him to death. Why? Because they were secure and smug in their own goodness. And they were victims of the worst kind of badness. They were so busy depending upon themselves and their own track record and their good deeds, their external morality, that they had no time to recognize Jesus when he was here. Well, how did uh, sin enter this world? We know how it began in heaven. How did it enter this world? Romans, the fifth chapter, tells us about this, verse 12 and verse 19. By one man's sin, many were made sinners. How many? The Bible says all. By one man's sin. That's a sad story. And some people don't like that, like the man who came to uh, repair my washing machine there on the back porch. He didn't believe in God because he couldn't accept any being that would uh, allow millions to suffer because of one man's sin. But there's something good in that text that balances the score. Even though one man's sin and many were made sinners, because of one man, Jesus, many are made righteous. How many? As many as will receive him and accept of his great salvation. But Romans 5 is very clear that because of our inheritance, our forefathers, we are all born sinful. What does that mean? We are born sinful or we are born separated from God. Now, uh, the Bible is clear that uh, we are born that way from the very beginning. For instance, uh, the 58th Psalm, verse 3. David said it. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born. Oh, someone says, that's the wicked. Well, how many do we have in this world who are righteous? Romans, the third chapter, is very clear on that. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So everyone is born estranged or separated from God from the womb. 
We go astray as soon as we are born. And the first symptom, as we've noticed, is self-centeredness. So all you have to do to be a sinner is to get yourself born. And most of us have succeeded on that one. There are some, however, among the behaviorists who think of sin only in terms of performance and deeds, outward actions. Uh, they claim that the only way that we become sinners is by doing some sinning. You have to do some sinning, they say, to become a sinner. And it's based upon a little slip of logic which uh, goes something like this. In order to be a skier, you have to do some skiing. You don't become a skier by uh, buying the skis or by uh, having a lift ticket or by traveling to the slopes in the winter. You have to get on the skis and go down the hill. You have to do some skiing to be a skier. And then they say uh, about swimming. You have to do some swimming to be a swimmer. Um, you can't be a swimmer just because you read a book about it or because you own the lake or have a swimming suit. You have to do some swimming to be a swimmer. Therefore, the conclusion is, in order to be a sinner, you have to do some sinning. Well, there's a little part that's left out of that kind of logic. The Bible makes it clear that we are sinners by inheritance. I happen to be Norwegian. But I didn't have to do any Norwegian in order to be a Norwegian. All I had to do was get born of Norwegian parents, and I was a Norwegian. I had no choice in the matter. And that's the ballpark that we're talking about when we talk about the inheritance of sin. There's something wrong with our first birth. Now, there are a long list of texts that we could use to try and prove from the Bible that we are sinful by nature, children of wrath, and so forth. But we don't have to read all those texts. All we have to do is consider John, the third chapter, John 3. John 3 tells us that uh, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. That was that dialogue that Jesus had with Nicodemus. He said, uh, truly, he said, truly, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. That means that there's something wrong with our first birth. What is it that's wrong with our first birth? We're born sinful. Again, the issue is we are born estranged or separated from God. And the painful fact is we would have remained so forever if it hadn't have been for the friendly arms of a cross on a public hill. Now, one of the major questions that come up when we talk about sin is, is this. Does God hold us accountable for being born sinful? There was a, a Catholic father by the name of Augustine that some people thought was a saint who came along with quite a foundation for Catholic teaching. He uh, came up with what he called his doctrine of original sin. Really, uh, it isn't quite labeled right. It should have been called the doctrine of original guilt. His doctrine is this, that uh, mankind is born sinful, yes, 
but that he's also held accountable for it. Therefore, he is not only born sinful, but born guilty. And because of his teaching, the people that followed him had to come up with uh, some other teachings that are not biblical in order for people to be saved. For instance, infant baptism. And uh, in order to try and explain how Jesus could be born sinless of human parentage, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception followed. These based upon this idea that we are born sinful and held accountable for it. Now, I believe in one half of Augustine's doctrine of original sin. I believe that the Bible teaches original sin, if you want to call it that. But the Bible does not teach that we are held accountable for it. Ezekiel 18, verse 20, says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not be held responsible or accountable for the sin of his father, but for his own. So people don't die in this world because of inherited sin. They die because they are sinful themselves, as far as the first death is concerned, but that's not the one that matters. It's the other death, the second death, that matters and God has never held us accountable for being born sinful when it comes to his offer of eternal life. If he was holding us accountable, then he could not be a God of love. Follow with me a little bit of logic. Point one, two, three. Number one, God is a God of love. Do you believe that? God is a God of love. Most everyone who's familiar with the Bible or a Christian at all would have a hard time denying that. Although some people question it deep down inside because of some experiences they've had. But if God is a God of love, number one, then there follows another statement that you may or may not agree with. God is responsible for us being born in a world of sin. Oh, you say, no, 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 Satan is responsible for the world of sin. That's true, but that isn't what we said. Number two is God is responsible for us being born here. It wasn't the devil who was responsible for us being born here. He has never been in charge of life. Not even father and mother. They're only sort of uh, go-betweens. God has always been the author of life. And he is the one responsible for you being born in a world of sin, even though the devil is responsible for the world of sin. Now, if these first two premises are correct, then premise number three is inevitable. God would have to give everyone born in this world an adequate opportunity for something better, for salvation. Or he wouldn't be a God of love. And that's why... That friendly cross arose on the public hill, even though it was a lonely place for the Lord Jesus. There's good news, the good news of the gospel, that there has been provision made for sin. Sometimes we don't like to talk about sin, but I like to talk about sin for one main reason. It makes Jesus look so good. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us 
This is the good news of the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. There's a story that's told about the uh, troops over there in Europe after World War I. The armistice had been signed, and the American soldiers were restless in camp, anxious to get home to their own country. But there's no way to get home early. There's a lot of red tape and processing and transporting. So they waited restlessly in camp until one day an important messenger came to camp with uh, fantastic news that everyone who was so many meters and so many centimeters tall was wanted to march in the victory parade down the streets of Paris and down the streets of Rome and London and New York a chance to get home early well uh, the measurement was in the European metric system and they didn't know how tall that was they had forgotten how to convert it and so they were frantic trying to find out how tall this exact height was so they could march in the victory parade well uh, the commanding officer was gone and the meter stick was locked up in his office so the troops spent their day measuring themselves against each other to see who was the tallest and to try and guess who would be able to go on the victory parades well by the end of the day they all knew how tall they were in comparison with Slim Slim he was a tall lanky soldier from Texas they had all measured against Slim except for Shorty he was a little pudgy guy that uh, didn't even try he knew he'd never make it in the victory parade at the close of the day, the commanding officer got back, and they rushed to him with the news and the message. He went to his office, and he took out the meter stick, and he made a mark against the wall. Now he said, we'll see who's going to march in the victory parade. One by one, the soldiers backed up against that mark. And one by one, they went away disappointed. They did not measure up. Finally, it came Slim's turn. And Slim stood against the mark, as straight and tall as he could. But he was just a couple of centimeters too short. Slim didn't get to go either. And, of course, Shorty didn't even try. When I heard that story, I remembered a Bible text. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are some people that stand taller than others in this world. There are some who have more backbone and self-discipline, who look better, who can perform nicer than the weak people. There are shorties and there are slims. But no one gets to march in the victory parade down the streets of the city of God because all have sinned and come short. There's only one chance. It's because of a man who came from a far country he understands our dilemma he knows our plight and he comes with his hands raised to heaven in those hands are the marks of nails and he says I've come to take the sinner's place to die for him and to give him power to become a son of God and to enable him to someday march in the victory parade that's the good news that comes after we've taken a look at the bad news of sin. So I have 
Bad news and good news for you today. I've given you the bad news first, and finally the good news. Here it is once more in Romans the 8th chapter, the first two verses. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Don't forget it, neighbor. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Shall we pray? Dear Father in heaven, we're thankful for the good news of Jesus, that he came to save sinners. We're thankful we don't have to look to only a few short years here on this planet Earth, but that eternal life has been provided and promised. Please help us today as we look away from ourselves to you. Help us to understand the deeper issue and to come into close relationship with heaven. Through prayer and the study of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's the good news for the planet Earth, where there are four things that God does not know. God does not know a sin he does not hate. God does not know a sinner he does not love. God does not know a sin he won't forgive. And God does not know a better time than now. <laughs>